Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. to the latest episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films by film lovers for film lovers. We tend to take a different film each week and we talk about the film, we review it and then we discuss it in terms of themes or ideas that the film throws up and we end with recommendations based on the actors or directors or crew involved in that film. And we are working our way through a particular uh, sub-season at the moment, and more of that from Rob later. But we usually start every episode with some thoughts on what else we've been watching recently. So, Rob, how are you? I have seen Endgame. Right. Uh, obviously the latest or latest and greatest of the MCU, the culmination of... 10 years and 20 odd films. Um, I have seen it. Now, I believe, Sam, that you haven't seen it. I have not. So, no. all I would say is that I enjoyed it. I felt it was a fitting end to the the arc we're in currently and maybe the start of the next arc. And we will get there until Sam has seen it and we can do a small, uh, a small batch maybe on it. Um, right. The other thing that has inspired us to do is to go back and re watch the whole of MCU. So yesterday, my wife and I watched Iron Man, the very first Iron Man from 2008. Um, it genuinely holds up. It really does hold up in terms of, A, being a blockbuster movie, but also sort of, it's weird kind of, it sounds like about a place in history, which at the time it didn't know it was. It didn't know that it was the start of this big sort of epic thing that we've lived through for the last 11 years. Um, but it really does hold up in terms of setting up those uh, those things that sort of pay off down the line so yeah here's my recommendation for a wildly popular film from 11 years ago iron man what about you sam um well i i'm feel like i should return to form and talk about a tv show um and i just want to talk about the not the latest series, but the latest series on Netflix of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I'm very glad it got recommissioned because it's just lovely and heartwarming and it engages with things around racial politics and gender politics and sexuality and does it in a really... Light-hearted, but not in, not flippant mm, way, yes. um, and sometimes it's genuinely moving. And the episode that my wife and I saw the other night was it was just like a play. It was just Perotta and Holt and in interrogating a subject, but it was very much like a a, a three-actor play. It was really beautifully written. So yes, my recommendation this week is for the fifth series of the season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm currently watching the sixth season and uh, it's ah. just as good. It's just brilliant. I, I haven't got enough good things to say about that show. No. 
So as Sam mentioned at the start there, we are currently working through our season looking at martial arts movies. I've been working through from the 1920s onwards, um, and we've reached the 2000s, the new millennium, the new century, and we are looking at 2004's film, the French film District 13. District 13, or Banlu 13, um, as it's called in there, um, is the tale set in the futuristic 2010, in which a a suburb of Paris, the so-called District 13, has been sealed off, and, uh, and it's going to be a, a crime-ridden, lawless land run by various mob bosses who own buildings and various things like that. Into this steps a local... Um, local here i suppose but a, a, a local boss um who gets caught up in some sort of struggles ends up in prison and is broken out as part of a police ploy to deal with a imminent nuclear threat that has emerged within this district the film is notable mostly because it features very heavily the uh the martial art if we want to call that that the martial art parkour um with one of the main actors being one of the inventors of of the sport um, and so we do have martial artists. We also have free running, as it's often called, as a heavy as a heavy part of sort of the action scenes of the movie. Sam, this is whilst we are looking at martial arts movies, this is maybe a bit more unorthodox in places. There obviously there is traditional martial arts in there, um, but also some more unusual things that maybe strain, bend the bend the rules around what we class martial arts. How did you find it? I don't have enough good things to say about this film. I love this film. And I've mentioned before how I struggle to find the time now to um, watch a whole film, so I tend to watch a film in segments. And I just didn't want to stop watching it. And I stayed up until, well, 11 o'clock, which at, at my age is far too late. <laughs> I, I stayed up to finish this film. Um, because I really enjoyed it. Um, it, there was something very stylized from the beginning about the way it was shot, but it that seemed to work very well with the style of parkour that was it, its subject many parts. Uh, it, and the the acting performances were great, and there was a pleasing sort of heist element to some of it um, and the interactions between the two leads were great um, and I found his sister very funny when she was dealing with the with the men early on in the film uh, yeah I love this film I thought it was brilliant I'm, I'm so glad to hear that this is one of those films that's like a weird oddity from this period which kind of broke out of the, the European market which doesn't happen as much anymore we, we get more sort of European dramas more than anything else, the Scandi drama and the Nordic dramas, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I, like you, I've got a lot of time for film. I saw a film back when it first came out 
Um, and it, it was it was a sort of revisiting this time. I was thinking, well, is it is it going to be as good a memory it being? You know, like I'm I'm 15 years on from when I saw this film last time, and a lot's changed that time. Well, it's going to be as, as good. But we have different expectations these days on movies, especially action movies. But no, I'm with you. I think it was very good. And given that one of the lead actors isn't really an actor, more, more just like a sportsman kind of turned actor, I thought they were very good in it. Mm. I mean, it is preposterous. In many, so much of the film is is kind of insane and makes no real sense. It's kind of a logical sense. But you, you go along with it. The action scenes are so well done. Obviously, the, the free-running scene, particularly the opening sort of chase, is so well done. But also the first um, fight um, from his, his partner, um, from Damien, uh, his scene in which he kind of takes down an entire casino by himself is just, it's amazing. It's just kind of, it's so tense. And the way that, that tension release is so acrobatic and the martial arts are so well done. Um, I really, really enjoy this film. And it was so good to go back to see it and, and see it's kind of, it's as good as I remember it being. I particularly liked about that scene with Damien at the start and the way that you never really saw what was going on until the pullback right at mm. the end and you, and you look at this sort of devastation he's left and this casino, but it was very, it was very focused, I suppose, in, in the way that you expect as a participant in a fight like that, you'd be focused, you wouldn't necessarily see everything that was going on around you and the, the destruction that you'd left. Um, it, it was very, very focused on exactly what was happening at that point, and then he moved on to the next. And yeah, I mean, I think all martial arts films often struggle with this whole idea of like a group of bad guys fight one on one. You know, like they all kind of mm. wait their turn to be attacked and to attack. Um, and the was this was true. They seen it didn't feel that way. It felt like he was moving through the space. And it felt like you're coming up against the bad guys in their place rather than trying to, he was fighting one place and they were coming one, one on each in turn at him. I really felt like he was kind of, as he does, he moves from like the, the, the top sort of control room down the stairs into the main room and out again. He does move through that space. And I think that really kind of helped keep the action going longer than otherwise. Hmm. Yeah. It felt, I mean, we, we've, we talked about this this being a radical departure in terms of other films in this genre, but it, it really felt like that scene in um, was it last week we looked at Drunken Master and with um, the two um, the was it consul official and Jackie Chan fighting in 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 a like some sort of mm-hmm. bar and. It was it was that way they're fighting upstairs and then they spilled down the stairs and there were hundreds of people after them. It felt very much like that. But it's not surprising that a film that is clearly so built around the idea of free running, of parkour, where it's all about the space, it's all about moving through the space, that that's important. Because you do, I think that's the interesting thing about the, particularly the stuff in District 13, is that often these kind of movies can feel kind of placeless because the very nature of film production means that they haven't got a district they can't seal off a whole district and so you see like a lot of internals and you don't get a sense of place Mm. we've often talked in the movie in in, in this show about other movies where you lose a sense of scale and of place the transformers film is a great example where the action scenes on that you lose this sense of sort of 
geographical placement. And so the, the action becomes meaningless. The action becomes meaningless. And this, because of the nature mm. of you see him th- flow through the building, but in the, the opening chase, when he kind of breaks past all, all K2's goons and he kind of leaps through windows and off round the building, like you get a real sense of, of physical space that they operate in. Um, and I think that's absolutely mm. to its credit. Because it means that later on, because having done that early work, later on you don't have to do that. You know, you can just say that you just cut to the same sort of locations, the same sort of physical places, and the same sort of visually similar places, you know, with the barbed wire and sort of the, the multi-level sort of buildings. And you you actually believe it because they've done that groundwork of establishing that. And I think that comes from this use of parkour because it's about flowing through the space, I suppose. That you are really invested in the space, and you start to view a lot of the space differently. Like a things become very different in terms of um, how you view them. So, like uh, stairs become more than just stairs, and like a piping of a building becomes something you can clap and down, and all these sorts of things. Yeah, and also the characters involved. It was thinking there about. S- something being something you can climb off, but the piping being you can you can a means to climb a building. But in that in the chase sequence towards the end with Damien later, and then then all Kashu goons coming after them, that suddenly everyone is good at this, and it, it's it, it's not surprising that you can run up buildings like that. Or you use something to help you get over all that, because, like you say, there's 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 a narrative earlier on in the film that that sets up this idea that this is how the space is used. When it comes to that chase, you're not surprised to see people doing that because you think, well, no, they can all yeah. do this. And I think I mean that's where like the if you want to dive a bit deeper into it, in this in this sort of neighbourhood in which cars are mostly reserved for sort of the elites and there clearly is a lot of poverty going on. You can understand why things like this, like like, like, like him being good at this skill develops because he hasn't got a car because no one has cars. Um, mm. It did, I mean, just a quick aside, it made me laugh early on when the scene in which they pull her sister out of the, um, out of the supermarket where she's clearly working take her to go and see the boss like there's a literally shot of them dragging her through two armed guards with dogs yeah they just kind of like, like what are you for if not this <laughs> yeah <laughs> and what, what is the point of you yes um but i mean if the film the film does set up i mean you do have a sort of like the, the interesting intercutting of the two like the two real sort of big locations in the movie being district 13 and then more kind of the the government offices in which um some are more moving to spoilers here, the plotting side of things takes place. Yeah. And the architecture of that was really interesting to me. That the, the, you look at the architecture in 2013, it's all high-rise, it's all concrete, it's all, you know, sort of thin corridors and all that sort of stuff. Um, whereas that, it's big open windows, it's very plush, it's very, very plush, and very much in that kind of French style of, you know, very austere buildings that have been around for centuries. And I thought they did that very well in that there was a very clear divide between the two. I will say though that I agree with you. There's that difference, but there's there's a difference in even though the use of the plush 
high up in the hierarchy environment is this sort of open and expensive, expansive space. It felt very claustrophobic. Whereas mm-hmm. the the scenes in District 13, even though it was sort of high-rise and narrow corridors, there was a sense of, well, like you said in the beginning, a sense of space and a sense of freedom, which is bizarre because this film is about the, sort of the restriction of freedom and so it's mm-hmm. class-based restrictions on the freedom of, of other people. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's, part of where we want to tie this to the parkour is it's because about like that's about their space is freeing to them so the, the limitations on their space have caused them to develop this this skill set and so what traditionally because it's spaces aren't you know yeah. he's got tunnels he can leap over people he can leap over walls it's a freeing space which doesn't exist outside of that area and so the film sets sets up that the freedom that comes from these spaces does not exist in places that are, you know, closed rooms with locked windows. Yeah, and there's... The thing that's, that's stuck with me is from the very beginning of the film when he's sort of escaping for the first mm. time is he... Um, and the, the goons coming coming after him batter a door down, but to get through the door, he slides through the light... The, the I, can't, I don't even know what it's called. The sort of the skylight bit at the top of the door. Yes. And just smash it through the glass and goes through. And I saw that and I thought, well, that's amazing that he can do that. Mm. But also, that's a really innovative use of space. And that, I suppose that that is that is what we're saying about the freedom that it gives, or that 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 pe- people practicing parkour feel the need to treat the environment like this mm. because they are restricted. Well, I think it's also like we talk about sort of placing these martial arts films in sort of the wider history of martial arts. You know, we talked a lot last week about Jackie Chan and his use of props and the use of location. So mm. having the bamboo or the fire or like the fact that the fights get interesting by their use of the things around them as tools. And he's obviously done that a lot in a lot of his films. And that's the same here. Like you say, that that moment was so impressive to me. Mm. Just that leaping up and just seeing the door in that light, that, that way of going, going through that and let them fit through it. Mm. And I thought it was so impressive. Um, but it's that same kind of thing that the martial arts movies bring. These sort of more modern takes of looking at the, seeing not just your opponent and your body as the weapon, but also the environment as weapon. Um, and you, you certainly see that developing in these later years. But I, I think there's a, a strong line to be drawn between that Jackie Chan style of, you know, using things to his advantage and this. Yes, yeah. Also, though, there's it, that, that sequence where he sort of smashes through the glass and they break the door down. There's a, a sort of so there's a, a pleasing almost futility about it. And you think the mm. number of times when Jackie Chan does something cool and he thinks he's got around a problem and then someone just smashes him in the face. And you think that there's that. It's very linked to this tradition of, I suppose, the almost comedic action and, and martial arts as well. I, I agree. I, I enjoyed with this film that it did bring the comedy in its own way. You know, it's not quite as comedic as Jackie Chan stuff is. No, no. But as you say, his sister is certainly very funny in her way. The 
there are certainly very comedic scenes in this, and almost and better like a kind of like Damien, his deadpan reacting to stuff is very funny. And I, I, I mean, we, it's almost like a side note in the movie. Uh, but when he fights the, the Yeti um, in it, uh, the huge oh, bad yeah, guy, yes. and all his skills mean nothing. Um, like that was the, 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 his face when he's realised he can't. Like that, like, it's it's a serious action scene, but it also has a little humour to it. Um, which I, I did enjoy, and I think you know, I don't think this film kind of comes close to sort of the Jackie Chan work, but it's definitely in that same vein. Yeah, that that final scene, I I particularly find it. You were you were saying that his his skills mean nothing, and I I really like the way that suddenly he realizes, well, suddenly later realizes the only way to defeat him is to do something really bizarre with tying him up. Mm. You think, well, he's thinking outside the box here, but also this is something that they have not, their skills have not prepared them for. No, I mean, it's it's that, you know, he's, that's where the two skill sets come in, is Damien is a martial artist in that traditional fighting sense. Um, but Leto isn't. Leto is, 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 a, is a free runner, and so his ability to move fast and quick, and and his sort of agility is what wins that fight. You know, not the, not the power of um, not. You, 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 you can't be stronger than that guy, so you've got to be faster. Yes, and that's well, how you win that fight. You've got to be clever as well, because yes. there, there is speed about it, the way he moves. There's also the than now to think, well, that's what he's doing here. Mm. Like you said, I'm not going to be able to beat him. I'm not going to be bigger than him or stronger than him. I think I also enjoy it. This isn't going to go anywhere too deep. But I did enjoy sort of the third act swerve in which the main bad guy for the entire thing, Taha, gets dealt with. Yes. And and the person you think of as the the, the the sort of the the bad guy is just removed from picture, and then it becomes like a man versus the environment kind of movie when they have to kind of fight their way across and try and deal with the um, the bomb, and then that's also then swerved into being you know, a, a versus the establishment. But I just yes. kind of like the idea that the the way that they kind of brought this bad guy and established him as a um, as the as the antagonist of the movie and solved that, and then went, okay, well. What next? What? Where does the movie go from here? And sort of not the redemption, but the character of K two who goes from being that like the the bad henchman to actually, you know what? Maybe second command a bit more sensible. It isn't doing lines of coke all the time and keeping pets. He's yeah. like a a practicalist. Yes, and I, actually that that was really surprising to me. That I did think when Taha got shot, I thought, well, how's he going to get out of this? Mm. Oh, he's not. That's what this film is doing. Okay. But yeah, there was that. It, like you said, there, there's a series of films after after Taha gets gets next. There's the, the sort of the narrative of K2, and then there's sort of... Man against the environment and running to stop the bomb, and then there's the sister trying to redeem herself, and then there's there's man against the establishment and and Damien framing them at the end. I did I did like that. The it was sort of narrative on narrative at the end. So Sam, do you have something else to recommend? Some movies to point us towards that uh, if this floated our boat, we might enjoy. 
Yes. Now, I've had a cursory look for this. I'm sure I, I need to look further. Um, but I am pretty sure that this film was an influence of Suzanne Collins. Um, and there are other films or novels that have been talked about as an influence for her young adult series, started with The Hunger Games, um, most notably Battle Royale and the way that the um, the children are made to fight. But then this, I, I don't know whether it's, it's the name or it's the fact that this is, that Bonnie 13 is so very class-based um, at points in this film. It felt very much like some of the later sequences in the Hunger Games film. So I can't find it anywhere online, but I'm sure it's there. I'm sure that this film was an influence of Suzanne Collins in writing the Hunger Games, which was then an inspiration for the for the films. And I would recommend the first film in that that trilogy. The latter ones aren't great, but the first one is. Yep. And my second recommendation is a straightforward. Um, just want to mention another Luke Besson film, and there was something about the cinematography of this sort of the, like I was saying at the very beginning, the sort of the jumpy parkour like camera work at the beginning. It felt at times very much like The Fifth Element, mm. and that that does not get talked about enough. It's a great film. So those are my two two films for this week: is The Hunger Games, the first one, and The Fifth Element from nineteen ninety seven. Excellent, excellent. How about I'm you? I'm going to be really cheeky and have three this week. Oh, and uh, building uh, to to a climax. Um, so my first um recommendation is, in many ways, a very different film. Um, but somehow was felt echoes of this movie when watching Two Thirteen, and that is the nineteen ninety five film La Haine. Uh, which is a French drama about three youths living in the suburbs of Paris just after a riot. And it is kind of, it's brutal and grimy and it's all about the criminal underworld. And whereas 13 was stylized and hyperactive, this is toned down, uh, but intensity. But it has that same kind of vibe, the same kind of dealings of the French underworld um, and the same kind of sense of the French um problems shall we say um which you imagine all this is more like a, a grounded gritty take on that same material my second recommendation is a film from a couple of years later and that's the 1998 film run lola run um this is a i think it's german he says googling um, i think it's a german film um certainly european um i don't know i, th- I think sam seen this um i Oh, possibly I have. It is true. Essentially, it's a tale of a woman played by Franco Patente um, who has to achieve, in like 20 minutes, has to get 100,000 Deutschmarks. Um, And the film takes almost the sliding doors approach and we see three different timelines in which she um, runs to go and get money. And that same kind of action, it's nowhere near parkour, but she's that same kind of 
kinetic energy that they bring to District 13 is sort of threaded through this entire film of her running to get his money. And it's stylistically brilliant. It's well acted. It's such a it's one of those weird European films that you just don't get made out of Hollywood. Um, so I've got a lot of time for that. My last recommendation is the the biggest of my of my three and the most uh, well known, and that is the two thousand and six movie. So only two years after two thousand and thirteen, Casino Royale, the first of the Bond films, and notably featuring the other founder of parkour in the opening scene, um, in which him and Bond chase each other through the um, through a building site. And they do the same move of jumping through the little window and jumping down lift shafts and stuff. It's nowhere near the level of Digit 13 in terms of its sort of celebration of parkour. But it was interesting to see it going from one to the other and the leap into sort of the most mainstream of mainstream action movies, the Bond series. Uh, so that's Lahane, Run, Lola, Run, and Casino Royale. Brilliant. So, what are we doing next week, Rob? Bringing martial arts to a conclusion. We are, we are we are kind of ending rounding off um the martial arts series because obviously we are now into this decade um and it isn't the 2020s just yet um so we are going to look at one of the the biggest and most well known um and most celebrated action sort of martial arts movies of the this decade and that's the 2011 movie The Raid <sighs> Sam is a fan Oh, I love this film. I saw it once, many years ago, um, and I can't say it made the huge impression on me. So I'm looking forward to going back to it because it's one of those movies where, like, I maybe I wasn't paying attention to it, but everyone raised about it, and so I'm very keen to go back and take another look at it. So we'll be back in two weeks, guys, with the raid. Till then, you can find both of us online at Pressy Podcast. You find just me at Life Underscore Academic. And you can find just me at The Rock Kaiju. And we'll see you back here in two weeks.